Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. This week, as you may have heard, there was a victory, and uh, some uh, polls didn't see it coming. And uh, both sides wanted to win, and at the beginning it looked like it was a, a serious competition, and you thought that one was, was going to win, and, and then uh, out of nowhere, the, the other one won. Now, of course, I'm talking about um, my Liberty University Flames beating the Virginia Tech Hokies this <laughs> Saturday. Uh, I don't know what y'all were thinking about, but that's what, what I've been thinking about this weekend. And uh, so at about 2 o'clock, we should be ranked in the top 20 is my expectation, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But no, uh, obviously this is, uh, we're going to conclude our, our series on um, the Christian in the midst of all of the political stuff. It's not going to go away, but I pray that we would have equipped ourselves and looked into the Word and we would respond uh, likewise because of that. And uh, obviously in the next few weeks, it'll probably still get more hairy and come January and there'll be another drama. And the issue is, is that as Christ followers, how do we position ourselves in the midst of all of that? And so today where we really want to take us is to look at a passage that, that most hones in on, on government and uh, it actually hones in on our hearts, but it speaks most to this government issue and that would be Romans chapter 13. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you would, you can grab your Bibles and go to Romans 13 or you can open up the the Bible app, if you have version on your phone, uh, you can go to events, the events tab, and then click on the church name or find us on the map right there. But uh, the notes will be in there, and so those are two ways that you could follow along. Uh, I, I've encouraged you guys before, and I'll continue to do it till I'm no longer preaching, but uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge note taker. I really believe in it, and um, there's times when I'm uh, my own spiritual life is nearly dead or dry um, that I can go back to notes and just revisit what God was teaching me in different moments, and uh, it really sparks that fresh in me. And so I encourage you guys um, to, to take notes, including and especially when uh, you feel like you're in a season where it's not helping. But uh, so the question today is this question, what does it mean for a Christian to also be a good citizen? What, what does it mean for a Christian to also be a good citizen? Now, obviously, uh, we, we look around and we have a culture, a, a country that's divided and, and uh, you had 74 million vote for somebody and you had 70 million or so vote for another. Uh, and then I guess if you talk to people, they discredit both of those numbers. So, uh, but, but you have, you have a divided country. And, uh, and, and so in the midst of all that, there's also, by the way, 340 million plus people and you had about 144 uh, votes. So there's still another 200 people that are affected by all of this, 200 million people that are affected. And then you have all of the consequences of an election and what we do as a country around the world. And so, so all of this stuff eventually matters. It eventually makes sense and it eventually reaches people's actual lives. And for uh, some of our, our members for the last four years, it's been a stressful time and a worrying time and a, and a frustrating time. And for another group of our members, this begins a new round of being stressed and worried and frustrated. And so no matter what, on, we understand the consequence. We understand what's going on. But how do I, as a Christian, how do I look at the whole ball game and say, okay, how as Christians can we live as citizens? What is our responsibility in the midst of that? 
And so what I want us to do is to look into Romans 13, and we'll walk through. And I hope that what you'll see is this isn't so much a passage about what to do about government as it is about what to do about me. What, what, what is it that God wants me to do, and how does God want me to live in light of all of this? Now, keep in mind, this was written at a time when Nero had essentially just come in. The Jews had been kicked out of, of, of the, the churches in Rome, so you had just Gentiles, essentially, and they were trying to figure out, like, how do we deal with this Roman government that just banned and kicked out the Jews, and the Jews are, are coming back in, and they're trying to figure things out, and so the book of Romans, when it's written, it's you're looking at a church that's kind of like, how do we deal with all of this stuff? How do we deal with this, this, this oppression? How do we deal with Jews and, and Gentiles? And if you remember reading the first 12 chapters of this book, it really is, a, is the central thesis of like Christian theology. How do we live and what do we do about grace and what do we do about the other? And so there's all these other themes that are going on. And then we get to Romans 13 and it ties into this idea of how do I live? In the midst of all this, I know what my neighbors are doing. I know what the, the news networks are doing. I know where my impassioned in-laws are thinking. I know Thanksgiving's coming up and there could be fighting. How do I live in the middle of it all? Let's go to Romans chapter 13 and just start right there at the top. Let every person, everybody say every person. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by who? God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? To do what is good and you'll receive his approval? For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger of those who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. If you're jotting notes down today, I want you to write this down. God's children are called to be good citizens. God's children are called to be good citizens. Part of our responsibility in demonstrating Christ. Now listen, we're not called to be good citizens because we like everybody who's got every office. I mean, there's obviously power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely is, is a, a phrase that I grew up with. This idea that you're not going to find bad government, that's just not true. But the question is not so much what about them. The question is what about me? How do I advance? Now, at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is not sitting on a throne saying, you know what, what I care most about is this, this block of, of uh, marble in the middle of this area that was swampland called Washington, D.C. And so whoever lives there, that's what I care most about. That's not God's ultimate plan. God's ultimate care, God's ultimate concern is about his own glory and his kids meeting him and seeing him and knowing him and the salvation of humanity. Like that's what God cares more about. Sometimes we can get it confused to be like, God cares most about that, that particular address for four years. I'm sorry, he doesn't. 
The reality is, is this this country has had um, plenty, Republicans and Democrats and all kinds. And guess what? God has been God every single time. It's not like God looks and goes, oh, man, Trump's in. I guess I, I got to take four years off. Right? Like, that's not how it works. And, and it's not like, you know, oh, oh man, I didn't know that election was going to go that way. Biden's in. What am I going to do now? You know, like God's not sitting back and, and he's not as, as wishy-washy as we are about the way life moves. What he cares about is his glory. What he cares about is you coming to know him. What he cares about is your discipleship and your growth. What he cares about is that you have the proper order of things in your own human heart. That's what God cares about. But God's children in the middle of all of that are called to be good citizens. Why? Because how in the world are we to advance the witness of God if we can't simply respect the authorities around us, if we can't participate in a, in a, a wholesome way, if we can't um, speak up and say, you know what, I know Christ, Christ knows me, and therefore I'm going to live out of that. Um, now, here's what I'll, a little parenthetical reference here. I truly believe in, in all of this, I truly believe that when we do raise our voice, when we do vote, we should be voting according to what God has laid out for us. And meaning that as you grow in your discipleship, as you understand the word of God, we should be filtering our vote through our understanding of God's word. Now, the reason that over this last series and my, my ministry, I don't harp on what exactly that leads to is because I genuinely look at the the political climate, and I genuinely see no party that's getting Jesus right. I just don't. I think it's fair. You could look and just go, you know what? Th this party over here, they don't care about, uh, let's say, immigration. And you say, well, well illegal immigration. And it's like, yeah, you know, but, but there's also a lot in the scripture that says of how we're supposed to deal with the foreigner, how we're supposed to care for the foreigner. And so are they, is this one party getting it right? Then you have the other party. It's like, well, no, 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 hold on now. What about abortion? I mean, Pastor Tolly, you, you, you really care about that. I mean, you, your uh, mom was at a, a Planned Parenthood center and there was somebody that was ready and wouldn't you, don't you think the government should come in? And yeah, I care about that. And the other party should care about that. But at the end of the day, you're going to end up with so many issues. You're going to end up with so many things to where nobody's able to look down and say, you know what? this group of people have my Jesus completely down. And what happens is, if we're not able to discern that difference, if we're not able to discern that, what happens is we get caught up into American idols. We get caught up into saying, you know what, what my main role is, is not to filter the, my, my vote through my faith and make sure that my faith is first. What happens is we start to say, no, 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 my, my party is first. And so I'm going to go through my party, and then I'm going to think about my faith on the other side of my party. And that's the danger. You and I have to ask ourselves, what is our focus? Now, obviously, Paul's writing this, and if you look at the first 12 chapters, Paul's focus is the theology. Paul's focus is on who Jesus is, and how do we relate to Jesus, and how do we, in light of Jesus, relate to one another? I mean, you're talking about Jews and Gentiles coming together. I got news for you that, that you, you haven't seen. If you think that there's racial division now, you've got to understand what was going on between a Jew and a Gentile sitting in the same room trying to learn about the same God. 
they had up until they're up until Jesus comes, they're living in these two different camps that just believe the other's completely going to hell. And so now they're in this church together, and he's talking about, hey, in light of Jesus, here's how you need to treat that person on the other side of the room. You and I think that, that, that political differences or cultural differences or race differences are somehow relatively new. They're absolutely not. What we have to do, though, is say, who is Jesus? And Jesus, I'm seeking you. What do you want me to do? And then do it. And at the end of the day, here's the beautiful thing. I tell my kids this whole election season, uh, we don't hide anything from our kids. We have open conversations. And, and the one thing that I've emphasized for the last couple of months has been, hey, kids, I know everybody's, their hair's on fire on TV. Who's on their throne? Jesus. Okay. Is he going to be on his throne tomorrow? Yep. How about when you get to vote in a few years? Yeah, he'll still be on his throne. Good. So who do we need to acknowledge first and foremost? God. Well, in the middle of all of that, Paul's writing to the Romans and he's like, hey, listen, I know you're upset because the Jews got kicked out. I know you're upset because you're still trying to figure out how to get along with each other. I, I know you've got these taxes that are coming down and the, the, the guys that are collecting the taxes, man, a lot of times they can be, be real shady and they can rob you and you could just say, look, I don't want to pay that because I don't like what's happening to my taxes. I, I know all of that's going on. But we've got a bigger game to play here. We've got something bigger to be thinking about. We've got the salvation of souls. We've got the, the gospel that has to spread all the way around the world. And in the meantime, your petty arguments over politics or your petty arguments over this thing, guess what? You do your part as a good citizen. That's all that you can do. And you've got to trust that God's going to do his part to put authorities over and around you in your lifetime. I was uh, having a conversation with one of my members last week, and I was like, you know, what's funny to me about all of this is that a lot of Christians seem to forget that if you live in this country, you're probably not going to like your government half your life. It's just, it is what it is. You're just probably not going to think they're doing everything you want them to do for half of your existence. So in light of that, because we have a two-party system, nobody's ever uh, really gone past 12 years. In light of that, it shouldn't be, I'm only going to be a good citizen. I'm only going to talk positively. I'm only going to be an encouraging person when my party's in power. Because that means that Christ isn't leading your behavior. That means that, that politics are leading your behavior. That means that party is leading your behavior. That means a, a, a philosophical set of ideals that aren't built on Christ might be leading your behavior. And so he starts off Romans 13. He's like, you know what? I want you to think about in light of all this, Romans 1 through 12. Be a good citizen. God's children are called to be good citizens. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except for God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, the interesting thing is, is that we, we get this wrong and we don't realize who it impacts. I, I had a friend the other night, uh, he's in the South, and he's um, more, uh, more liberal on the liberal side of things. And, uh, and you better be able to say that. Everybody, be able, you better have some friends on, that disagree with you. If you don't, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> you really got to get a broader scope of friends. But anyhow, I have this, this group of friends, uh, this friend who lives in the South. That's the reason I pointed out. This typically where he lives is super conservative. And He's more on the liberal side of things. And he told his daughter the other day, he said, hey, you know, Kamala Harris is, is the vice president now. There's a girl, there's a woman that's the vice president. And it's never happened. Isn't that cool? And this 
his daughter starts to like not tear up, that'd be a little drama, but get real sad. And he asks her, he's like, you know what, why are you why are you sad? Isn't that cool? That's a cool thing. And she's like, Dad, at school, the other kids said that she's the bad lady, she's the mean lady. They all say that we have to go for the other one. And so she doesn't know. She's a little kid. And it's just this idea that none of those kids in that, you know, kindergarten, first grade classroom, they don't know jack about all this. So what it means is, is that our, the adult population's running around ticked off all the time, feeding into kids. Kids go to school, and they get mad at each other. And we've got to watch it. We've got to say, you know what? The bigger picture here is I need to be a good Christian citizen. And I need to remember, and everybody that knows me needs to understand who I rely on. I don't rely on a particular party at a time. But I love this passage because look what it says. It, look it down in verse uh, 7. Now remember, they're having a hard time dealing with this tax issue. They're just like, man, can we trust this governing authority? This isn't cool. Verse 7, pay to all that is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. What are the next words? Respect to whom respect is owed. And what? Honor to whom honor is owed. Now when you hear, hey, be a good citizen, you're just like, all right, fine, I'll pay my taxes. Fine, I'll, fine, I'll just do what I've got to do. Fine, I, I, won't, I won't go to jail for, for fraud. But what is the Christian picture of being a good citizen? Is it good enough for us to just be like, fine, I'll do what I have to do but my attitude's going to be horrible. Fine, I'll do what I have to do, but I'm going to talk garbage about everybody that I can that has a different view than me. No, the scripture's like, hey, do the citizenry stuff, but also learn in your own heart how to give out honor. Learn in your own heart how to give out respect. Learn in your own heart how to be a good citizen. Good not meaning just barely you know, getting by legally, but good meaning giving out honor, giving out respect. So to be a good citizen, we will pay taxes, but will we also pay honor and respect? To be a good citizen, we will pay taxes, but will we also pay honor and respect? I'm going to pause real quick and parenthetically reference that you can't look at these first seven verses and say, oh, well, that means that the Bible is just endorsing every terrible leadership group that's ever existed. That means that the Bible is saying, well, God put Hitler in charge, and so therefore everybody should just bow down and do what Hitler wants. No, that's actually not. Because we know that the statement that Paul, when he's brought in front of, of the authorities, the, the statement that he's making is like, who is, who is God? Who is uh, Caesar's not God. And when Caesar's not God, when the governing authority's not God, when you make that statement, that's a statement of your own fidelity. And so we know he's not saying, you know what, what this means is as a Christian, whoever happens to do, you just never speak up again. You never participate again. You never advocate for godly principles. No, what it means is, is that, that in the middle of, of, of this situation, your first move needs to be be a good citizen. Honor God's word. Honor who Jesus is. So that when people look at you, they can see Jesus in that. They don't see party first. They don't see preference first. But they see Jesus in you. And it's after they see Jesus in you, if what you have to stand on is built on the word of God, you may have an audience. 
And that's when you can have the conversation about whatever the, the political position is you want. But what, what Paul's concerned about most is what God is concerned about most. That how in the world are we going to spread the gospel if the gospel we're trying to spread has to be tied to red or blue? Obviously, he's not referring to America in any of this. What he's referring to is just our hearts in dealing with authority, dealing with a posture of government. We're looking at it to understand, okay, in light of the lesson that we're learning, how do we apply it? That's a very different thing. You can't read America into the scriptures first and then have a discussion. You have to understand what the scriptures are saying and then say, how does that apply to me? And so what I'm trying to show you is that, you know what, to be a good citizen in our context, to follow this in our context, means that I've got to have Jesus Christ above all of this stuff. And people should be able to see it. In verse 8, owe no one anything except what? Love each other. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the what? The law, the law of God. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you're jotting notes, love others, loving others is the debt we pay for God's love to us. Loving others is the debt that we pay for God's love to us. The reality is, is that God has has not, you can't buy your salvation back, but you are called to be different. You are blood bought, which means he rules your life. He runs your life. He's in charge. And if you're genuinely a Christian, what does that look like? Well, if I'm blood bought by a savior and that dependency wasn't on my goodness to the savior, in fact, that it was while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And if I'm blood bought by that Christ, what then is my position in the world? To wait for everyone else to agree with me? To wait for everyone else to vote how I vote? To wait for everyone else to take up the cause that I take? No. My position has to be the position of Christ, which was to love the unlovable. The very person that you think doesn't doesn't deserve any of your love is probably the person that God wants you to love first. The very person that doesn't deserve your love is probably the person that God wants you to learn to love first. We live in a culture of tribalism and and parties and all this stuff, and all it's doing is dividing and pulling apart the church of the living God. What we have to do is say, you know what, look, at the end of the day, we both read this and we both pray and we both seek the Lord. And and we're deciding and weighing which parts of this match which group and which at the moment works better for the country. And then we, we, we fill in a circle, we fill in an oval, and we move on. And the next day, I've got to love you. I've got to love you not because I agree with you. I've got to love you because Christ loved me. And while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And so when I view you as being out of line, I need to learn to love you. And if I can't do that, that's on me. That's not on you. My spiritual maturity should take me to a place to where I can learn to love those that disagree vehemently with how I would like the country to go. You see, he said that love is the sum of the law. And he's like, you know what? If, 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 if you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it sums up all the commandments. Loving others 
gets the job done. You see, a lot of times we make it so complicated. The reality is at the end of the day, what what all I have to do is work on my love towards you because Christ loved me and Christ died for you too. And the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 was that we would have unity as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. And so therefore, that my work that I have to do, a lot of people approach it as let me hit, you know, commandment one, commandment two, commandment three. But the scriptures actually say, why don't you hit love? And if you hit love, you're probably not going to mess up on commandment one. You're probably not going to mess up on commandment two. Did you know the commandments one through four teach about our love to God? And commandments uh, five to ten teach us about our love, for God, our love for others. One through four is all about how to love God. No other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. The rest of them have to do with other people. And so the scripture is saying, you know what? If you want to be a good citizen, the way you could be a good citizen is learn to love your neighbor. Because if you do that, a lot of the law is done. All the law is taken care of. You're not going to break the law of God if you're loving your neighbor well in Christ. If your motive is Christ and your love for them is in Christ, you're not going to mess up all these other places. But a lot of times what we do is we focus on the other places first and we're just like, man, i got to really work hard at doing this. Not really. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to want to steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you're going to want what's best for your neighbor. You know what what, uh, uh, um, uh, minorities in this country are crying out for? I'm here. You love me too? Because if you did, some of this stuff we're doing wouldn't be happening. Like I would see my friends. I'd see you standing up for me. If, you're, if you love me, that's all I need to know. I just need to know you love me. But you're not telling me you love me. You're not walking with me. I don't really know you. And as a result, all I can do is say, what, what do you support? What do you vote for? What do you, what do you celebrate? And so the scriptures are like, hey, to be a good citizen, learn to love your neighbor the way Jesus loves you. And if you do that, you'll start to see things clearly. You won't need people to point out the the small fine print in a law. You're just going to be like, no, if this isn't good for my brother, it's not good for me either. And the reverse is true. The reverse is true. The reverse of that, the one is it's easy to see what's been happening. The reverse of that is that the population of African Americans in the country, if we didn't have abortion, would be double. So one way I can love my African American brothers and sisters is to say, I believe you deserve to live. In the meantime, we're, we're petty fighting with each other. And the reality is if we would just love our neighbor, we probably wouldn't be red or blue very much. We'd probably all be standing up every week saying, hey, my side's wrong too. My side's not doing it right either. And according to this, I think they both got it jacked up. But because Christians aren't digging in here first, and because we're not loving our neighbor first and foremost, we let other people tell us what the priority should be. And that's a terrible way to be a good citizen. If Christians were united to say every life matters from womb to tomb, we'd be in a better place. We'd be in a much better place. But we're not. The parties tell us where to draw our battle lines. But the scripture says, hey, love God. Love God and the law of God will be fulfilled. Love others and the law will be 
fulfilled. Augustine said it this way, love God and do as you please. Think about that. Love God and do as you please. What what do you mean? There's a preacher telling me just do as I please. Yeah. If you get the love God part first, if you fall in love with Jesus and his precepts over your life, if you fall in love with the idea that what he's called you to is right, if you fall in love with the idea that his salvation means that you're blood-bought and you're not going to fight God with all your energy, what you're going to do is try to fight the, the sin that's within and you're going to try to fight the devil that wants to take you out. And, and what you do is you say, you know what? I, I am so in love with God. His precepts and his words, they rule my life. And as a result, the scripture, then you can turn around like Augustine said and, and do as you please. Why? Because what I please, listen, 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 what I please is shaped by what pleases me. What I please is shaped by what pleases me. And the reason that we so look so much like the world is a lot of what pleases us is found in the world. And it would be so much better if we would say, you know what, Jesus, you please me. Jesus, your, your word pleases me. Your salvation, your love, I'm blood-bought in you. And when we get understanding there, then we do what we please, and it's going to look an awful lot like somebody who's keeping the law. But you know what we get it wrong? We get it wrong is when we try to keep the law without the love. Try to keep the law without the love. We just go, why isn't it working? Why do I feel frustrated? Why do I feel like I'm, I'm such a, a you know, bad Christian? Because you're trying to keep the law without the love. But if you would just fall in love with the God who loves you, all of it will work out. And guess what? You're going to look different because the world is not pursuing Jesus. It's a shame so many of us, we can fit right in and slide right in with the world and nobody questions anything. Because we're in love with the same stuff they're in love with. To be a good citizen, I must learn to love my neighbor. If I truly love God, I'm not going to have any other gods before him. I'm not going to make graven images. I'm not going to take his name in vain. If I truly love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to steal, lie, or covet what's my neighbor's. I'm not going to harm my neighbor. Love covers up all of this. It's that whole seek ye first the kingdom of God thing. Verse 11 says, besides this, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, I told you, Romans 13 is not about government first. Romans 13 is about our hearts first. And you know what makes a good citizen? A godly Christian. A godly Christian makes a good citizen. Not only is it a person who works really hard to love everybody around them, it's also a person that's working really hard to love God every day and look like it. Like holiness never goes out of style. Having some dignity doesn't go out of style. 
To be a good citizen, it's also to simply be a good Christian. Have something worth spreading. We live in a culture that needs to see that the Christian life works. That holiness is the way to go. We don't need to live an example that seems arrogant, but we do have to live an example as believers before people that we pray will become believers. Let us tear down the wall of hostility that we have with others because of politics. And let's recognize that there are things we can do to point people to Jesus that have nothing to do with donkeys or elephants. Let's remember that it starts at the core of who we are in our relationship with God, and then it goes out. Let's not allow party situation or affiliation or red and blue or a news network to dictate our view of our neighbor. We can be good citizens if we'll give honor, respect, and love while we're pursuing his holiness. And here's the thing. If I'm understanding that part of my holiness is that I love you well, what I'm not going to do is what a lot of Christians have done for millennia and basically divorce my own proper view in the world from my treatment of other people. And a lot of times Christians do that. We get so enamored with this idea of being holy that we look out and we don't see people for whom Jesus died. We see enemies. And what we have to do is understand that the way that I love you, the way that I treat you, is a reflection of how I'm doing with my own walk with God. It is a reflection of that. And as a result, how I treat you is not separate from how holy I am. It's indicative of it. Because if I can't love you well because we disagree about something, that says more about me and my relationship with God than it does about anybody else. So my love for you becomes part of my love for him. Remember, I want to conclude with this. This is the Jesus whom we worship. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy or make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God has have highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee, can you say every knee? Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. We shouldn't love our neighbor first or show respect and honor first primarily because of 
what we can get from them. We should be doing those things primarily because of what we already received from Him. We love because He first loved us. And we're not, setting, we're not following the example of political tribes and movements. We're following the example of King Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That wasn't what he was gunning for. That wasn't the example he was trying to set for you or for me. The example he set for us was to lay down your life so that others might meet the Father too. And I've got news for you. In the flesh, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to suddenly get ramped down or tamped down. The pressure of the world and the frustrations that we hear, are not, they're going to become more divergent from the cause of Christ. You see, in America, we've grown up with a civil religion. This idea that it's not in the South in most places, do you go to church? It's where do you go to church? And so there's been a lot of people for 200 years that have attended church, but so what? Their love for their neighbor was very different. We justified a lot of sin by people that were supposedly in church every week. But that civil religion doesn't save you. What saves you is your willingness to bow the knee to Jesus Christ to redeem you from all your sin because he bought you on the cross with his own blood. And your salvation is not dependent on which civil religion group you're a part of. Your salvation is dependent on have I bowed the knee to Jesus. And from Romans 13, Philippians 2, what we see is a person who has bowed the knee to Jesus will learn to love their neighbor and be a good citizen, not just by paying your taxes and staying out of, out of crime, but also by showing honor and showing respect. And so we've got to work on that church because the reality is, and we're four years from now, put, put rewind, find this, mark this, in your, save this in your library. Four years from now, it's going to be the greatest election we've ever seen. It's going to be the most divisive we've ever heard of. This person over here is the most evil that we've ever seen. And we've got to calm our hearts and realize that there's one king. And at the end of the day, every knee will bow. And I don't know about you, but at the end, when I see my Savior face to face, I don't want him to look at me and say, Tali, you spent a lot of time. You spent a lot of time trying to worship some other idol, or bow the knee to some other king. I don't want to get there and see that. I want to get there and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I pray that we can all arrive there together. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you, God, for your word in, in these um, difficult times. God, we remember that the, the early church was mostly founded. The early church, the book of the, the, the Bible was written. The Bible was written from the point of view of the oppressed. 
book after book, chapter after chapter, chapter, it was a group of people that didn't have control over their authorities. And God, so oftentimes living in our country, we translate everything as the oppressor, that we're on top, we win all the time. And Father, that's hard for us. And so I pray, God, that for us as Christ followers, each one of us would understand what's at stake here. What's at stake is there's one king to whom every knee will bow. And Father, everything of our theology, everything about our love for another, everything about how we treat each other should flow from that. And then, Father, as we walk with you and grow with you, Father, we can learn and, and, and be discipled and understand the Bible, and then we can make votes that simply reflect our love for our neighbor. And God, if, if we do that well, we realize that there's no one party that has a corner on the market of loving our neighbor well. There's simply policy positions and how that gets done. And so I pray, God, that we would be good Christian citizens. We'd participate. We would uh, vote. We would love our neighbor through the policy positions that we pick. But God, at the end of the day, we'd recognize that all of this is temporary and that our lives need to be spent on what's eternal. So God, would you help us to be both good Christian citizens, but first and foremost, great heavenly citizens. Help us to love our neighbor well so that no one can be confused. They may be confused about where we stand or how we vote, but Lord, let nobody be confused about who the king is of our life. Let us live for King Jesus and let us love because we're loved by King Jesus. And let us share that love with the rest of the world around us. God, help us to not get swept up into American idols. We love you, Father. We thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we thank God for his words?